You're listening to Drinking on the Job, D-O-T-J. I'm your host, John Coyle. Drinking on the Job is a toast to the culture of food, wine, and all things fermented. We'll be talking with winemakers, musicians, artists, late-night bartenders, scoundrels, and more. It's time to grab a glass before its last call. Last Bottle Wines is celebrating their 10-year anniversary of delivering great wines to your doorstep. There's a reason they are best in category. Listen up. This will be your favorite site to order wine on. Stefan Blicker is co-founder of Last Bottle Wine. He is the Last Bottle Wine's chief wine taster and writer behind the website, which I love. It's easy to use. There's under categories, there's a slew of great writing. Under health, you have hangover advice, which we can all use. Under, under food, you have great food, wine, and pairings. And fish to stay away from, which I love. Farm-raised tilapia and swordfish. I love it. And a great wine education section. Thank you, Stefan, for being on. Oh, it's my pleasure, John. Yeah, man. Uh, so give us, a, give us a quick overview of what Last Bottle uh, offers and what you're about and... You know, so people know. Sure. Um, so last bottle, uh, in essence, is one wine a day, um, usually at, say, 40 to 70% off what standard retail would be, mm-hmm. uh, until it sells out. And sometimes it sells out in 30 minutes, and sometimes it takes a full 24 hours. But it's never, we never have one wine for more than 24 hours. Cool. Well, um, we're going to get into a lot of this because uh, I think it's very cool what you do uh, because you travel the world constantly finding one. You've been doing this for a while. And by the way, that's what I do. <laughs> I've been doing the same thing. I guarantee you we've crossed paths at Vin Expo, Vin Italy, Alimentari, uh, the different trade shows and our travels. But um, I will say one of the things I do love about uh, Last Bottle Wine is that it's not a private label uh, plunk. You know, it's uh, there's so many of these direct-to-consumer e-commerce sites that are just private label. And just for kicks, I ordered off four or five of them, and the stuff was really undrinkable. What I like <laughs> about your site is because of your traveling and your love and passion of wine, there's a real connection to producers and farmers and stories, and the wines are for affectionately what I call wine geeks. So you have, like, fantastic Chateauneuf de Pop, you have Complifon, you have Billicart and three-liter Magnums, you have an amazing Farmer Fizz, as you call it. Um, and that's what makes it great. And I also want to say thank you for not making a subscription because the subscriptions to me are like the new timeshares. Once you get in, you can't get out. <laughs> and it's, it's a horrible racket. And I, I thank you for not being subscription. Oh, you know, we we really intentionally went into this to not be those guys. You know, there's so many of those, as you said, mm-hmm. out there. And we really wanted to focus on, one, brands that people know and recognize, mm-hmm. and two, great wines that we could find, you know, like you said, through trade shows in Europe and what have you, um, that we could bring in uh, and, you know, essentially cut out the middlemen and all the usual stuff that goes on in the three-tier. And um, it's just, you know, it's really been a joy. And it's really, it's so, uh, it's so good for the producers in Europe, too. That's what is really so satisfying to do, because, you know, we're buying from from families, you know, Mm -hmm. father and son operations. And, you know, 
mom's yeah. in the kitchen and the kids are running around and it's it's those kinds of wineries that we absolutely love to work with so as you know i'm a, i'm a director of sales for uh what started as a very small company now it's a, a healthy company and we represent a lot of small organic growers and farmers and like you i think our uh, the most important job that we have is to transmit these these stories of these families in their real farms and bring that those stories to the people and i think uh you guys do a great job a great job of that thanks very much um, i appreciate yeah. that um so give me the beginning of the journey into wine so you know <laughs> you know, decades before uh you, you know what what turned you into uh a wine geek or what was the the love story of the grape i'll give you mine you give me yours okay <laughs> sure you uh, want to go first or me? <laughs> okay, so I'll tell you mine. Um, I worked in the restaurant business. I was an actor, uh, stand-up, and always had restaurant side gigs. And I'm sitting in at Arizona 206, which is a Michelin, or not a three-star restaurant, and uh, the wine uh, teacher didn't show up. And there's 30 waiters all sitting there, and the owner goes, what am I going to do? Like, there's all this wine here, and nobody's going to teach the class. And I said, I I'll teach the class. He's like, what? I could, I could do this. And I, I was a huge fan of wine back then. And I did, I thought, a pretty yeoman job of uh, talking about Silver Oak, Alexander Valley versus Napa Valley. It was predominantly domestic. And, uh, and I think he saw, the owner saw everyone relate to me because I was their age. And I had a real joy. And I used different references like you do. You're a great writer. Um, people got to check out your writing for your tasting notes. And I used like punk rock in irreverent kind of reference points. Yes. Uh, you know, like Deborah Harry and, uh, you know, Blondie and Sid Vicious or, you know, and, and the owner just watched everyone light up. And it wasn't the usual dry, academic, boring shit. And he turned to me after he goes, Dude, you got to be doing this. <laughs> you have to be doing this. So um, I said, great. So like, let me open more wine and let me take some wine classes. And I started with uh, Kevin Zarelli's uh, Windows of the World wine yeah. course and fell in love with the whole understanding wine. And then the rest is kind of history. So Yeah, my, uh, my story is pretty similar. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up in Sacramento. California. And uh, I, you know, I, my first jobs were, you know, bussing tables. And right. um, that was also where I got my first taste of wine, you know, mm -hmm. um, because, you know, after a shift, you might have a coffee cup full of Sauvignon Blanc or what have you. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, I found that I really liked it. And um, when I was, uh, you know, but I never took it too seriously, other than occasionally stealing my dad's car and driving to Napa and tasting wherever they would uh, let me in. <laughs> right. There's, a, I mean, escape from Sacramento, basically, yes, right? absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So um, when I was 21, um, I went to Denali National Park, Alaska. Oh, and wow. I got a job as a bartender in Denali Park. Uh, shout out to the Spike. Um, and uh, from there, uh, I traveled around the world, but um, I always worked in restaurants and um I got a job at uh, the Crow's Nest at the top of the uh, Captain Cook Hotel in Anchorage, Alaska, and it was a classic French restaurant. Um, they had a, a pretty shockingly deep cellar, mm -hmm. and um, I was bartending there, and one day the, the sommelier went on vacation and never came back. And I, was, I went to the maitre d' and said, I think that I would really like to try this. <laughs> and he gave me... Kevin Zarelli's book, among yes. others. Yeah. Uh, that's what we all start with. And um, 
a week later, literally, I was decanting a three liter of 1970 Mouton. Oh, nice. Um, and we, it was, it was the, you know, we had the, the apron, the Testavon, the oh, candles, yeah. the whole deal. So it was really like old school classic. And I literally went from vir knowing virtually nothing to, you know, having 15 wines lined up at the end of the night. Uh, for those people who don't know what a Testavon is, it looks like it's a gold cup that it hangs around your neck on a gold chain. You basically were, uh, it's at the pace for what rappers now wear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like test event rapper. Right. But yeah, you know, uh, in theory, you're you're sampling the wine for corkiness right. or damage yeah. or whatever before you give it to the sure. customer. Yeah. But for me, it was like, I, I mean, my mind was utterly blown. I, I I could not believe that people got paid to do this, and it completely changed my life. Did you ever decant anything that old? That was your first bottle, and you did you were kind of nervous. Uh, I had no, I had never, I had never probably decanted anything, but, um, you know, I, I learned and we had, you know, we had wines, we had ports back to the early 1900s and, wow. you know, so there was a huge learning experience for me. And, uh, I went on to a couple of restaurants other than that during my time in Anchorage, I started writing for the Anchorage daily news and I wrote very similarly to the, to the way I write the last bottle write-ups. It was short, mm -hmm. sweet. Here's a great wine that's a really affordable price that you can find in town here in Anchorage. Mm -hmm. And uh, that kind of took off to the point where, you know, I was getting invited to stay at guest houses in Napa and stuff. And that's when I realized, you know, I, this, I have to make this my career. And because I'm, I'm from Northern California, it, I, right. I, uh, I applied for a job at Meadowood to be an assistant wine so, educator. Sure. Yeah. Uh, got rejected they sent my uh resume to maryville vineyards uh right on main street across from gotts and st helena okay. and uh they offered me a job at nine dollars an hour but behind the tasting bar oh, okay which i took yeah of course you should <laughs> any any way in this business that's what i always tell people that's right just find a way in because it's an amazing business um so from there i ended up kind of running the tasting room and um and you know this was still kind of the early days of the internet mm -hmm. had my resume up on monster got contacted by two guys with some money who wanted to start an uh an online wine company focused on fine and rare so at the time you know it was still the the madness of screaming eagle and sure Harlem so estate and all these yeah you know, I, I all remember the early those, cult stuff yeah the bounty hunter i used to visit in napa exactly was yeah right. bounty hunter yeah. was man they were they were ahead of the curve yeah they were but uh, we yeah. sort of uh we started a a, a company called next wine Mm -hmm. And um, and then sort of, you know, the internet bubble burst, uh, you know, 9-11 happened and everybody, you know, that was kind of the end of that company. We, we started another one, mm -hmm. uh, my partner Brent and I, um, Benchmark Wine Group, um, and we were focused on fine and rare old wines. We were buying a lot of private sellers. So is Benchmark still around? Benchmark is. Benchmark is actually uh, down the street from us. <laughs> yeah, because you know, when I hear something... Uh, the ironic thing is I have two bottles of wine under my desk. I've ordered tons of wine from those guys. Yeah, well, um, Brent, Brent and I started that from scratch. Wow. We started buying wine cellars uh, all around the country um, and, and you know, inventorying them and, you know, noting all the conditions and everything else and yeah. reselling them. And um, in, we left in 2006, started uh, Blicker Pierce, which very quickly became Blicker Pierce Wagner. And same thing, we were really focused on high-end, rare, collectible stuff. Um, 
And then we had the recession, right. and that was a kind of a scary time. But out of that right. came opportunities at wineries because everybody had extra inventory. Sure. And so, you know, deals were being made. And at one point, we, we made a pretty large sale to another flash site, and they sold it for twice the price, you know, wow. to, a few weeks later. And we said, I wonder if we're <laughs> missing an opportunity <laughs> here. So right. we, like, very inexpensively started, uh, built the Last Bottle website kind of a, on a whim. And... Um, you know, the first wine we offered was Heights Martha's. We had 10 cases. Ooh, yeah. And, you know, we sold it for half price. And we sold out in five minutes. Huh. Um, so what was your markup like on that? Oh, I mean, it's like a stand, uh, you know, it's pretty standard. It depends right. on the wine, but it's usually, mm. you know, I don't know. I don't even know. <laughs> I don't do that right. side of the 28 to you know, twenty-eight to thirty-seven. Okay. No, yeah, I'm just curious, and that's a that's a that is a rare wine. So, yeah, yeah, um, but you know, it was uh, there was a lot of excess inventory all over, and you know, uh, the the concept, and I, I guess it just resonated with enough people that it really took off. You know, and we start like I said, we started with ten cases, and you know, now we we sell. You know, if we're doing like a nine or ten dollar rosé, we usually can sell well over 10,000 bottles in a few hours. Yeah, that's fantastic. So it's, it's, really, it's really been quite a, quite a journey. <laughs> so, th so that was your kind of aha moment to, to go bigger? Yes. Well, we, you know, the, the idea kept getting bigger. It kept being successful. We kept selling out way too fast. So we started buying more wines and, you know, looking for more opportunities, um, started importing, you know, more from negotiants that we already had relationships with. Um, and we kept moving from building to building. I mean, we literally moved every six months. <laughs> Getting bigger. <laughs> to keep right. up with it. Sure. And, um, uh, you know, at some point about, I guess it was probably around, I don't know, 20... Uh, 2016 or 17 we said mm -hmm. you know what we've got to go all in on this and so we we took our emphasis off of old and rare um and put every all of our energy into into growing last bottle um wow you know and that with that came you know provine and vanitaly and all the trips sure. to europe and yeah. and bringing and importing more and more of our own our own wines that we could sell direct to consumer you know i mean sure i i so think we were speculating the other day that we might be the biggest importer of Brunello in the United States right now. Wow. But it's all direct to consumer. Huh. So it, it ships from Europe to your warehouse and right to your customer. Yes, absolutely. Right. Um, so I'm guessing just because they're really well-known producers, some of these SKUs are maybe like single vineyards that they don't sell to their importer, um, but still has brand recognition. It's a fantastic house. Um, and that's the that's kind of the mo a little bit right yeah absolutely right. it's it's okay. a it's a mix of everything sometimes it's it's wines that are distributed in various places around the country sometimes um it's something that they've decided to carve off you know 80 80 percent for us and 20 percent right. for the rest of europe or something like that uh but it, it really it really varies from house to house hmm. um that's crazy so how often were you going to uh europe then uh, I was going twice for business and once for pleasure, which was always mixed with business, of course. Right. Uh, but, you know, my partner, Corey, goes probably at least three, four times a year. 
Do you have a favorite? Do you, do you prefer France over Italy, or you have better relationships in <laughs> France, and that's why you go there? Or you know, uh, purely from like a hedonistic and mm-hmm. emotional standpoint, I feel like I have more of a connection with Italy. Okay, uh, sure. You know, I love Barolo and Barbaresco, and I'm Nebbiolo crazy. I so, love Nebbiolo as well. Yeah. Do you, so, have you been there for truffle season? Oh man, are you kidding? We <laughs> we 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 make a point to go at the end of October, yes, early November. Of course. So. Of course. And yeah. a couple of our producers, you know, there's like the younger kids in the family have truffle you know, truffle dogs. And yeah. and so the tasting is always uh, blended with, uh, you know, three or four courses of truffles. <laughs> oh, yeah. So that's, that's, not, that's not too much of an accident. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we have a, a producer, uh, Julia Negri, that I absolutely love that has a vineyard called Tartufai, which is a, an old <coughs> truffle vineyard. And it's super high elevation. And I'm a huge Nebbiolo fan as well. I love, uh, love Italy. Um, but, you know, I, I was traveling to France a couple times a year, Italy a couple times a year, Spain. I also am a big Spanish uh, wine lover as well. Um, and you have a lot of dom- you have a lot of domestic stuff. It's, you have a great mix. You can buy a fantastic Cote de Bruy at a really good price, or you can go super high end and get uh, you know uh, you know great Barolo and uh, um, a Burgundy. So I, I do uh, absolutely love the mix of uh, what you guys do. Thanks. Um, yeah, yeah um, we really tried consciously to do that. A lot of people would say, you know well, what I don't understand is that you're not specialized in a, in a certain region. And we really wanted this to be uh, a website and a company that really could hopefully expose people to new things uh, in it. Because of the conversational tone of the emails, I think it, it encourages people to maybe try a Sancerre that, you know, they just had no idea even that that was Sauvignon Blanc. Mm-hmm. Um, right. You know, today we did a, a dry Riesling from the Finger Lakes, you know. I saw that. Was that Empire? Yeah, Empire yeah. State. I mean, we loved it. We thought it was fantastic. And uh, we thought, well, I don't know if we can, you know, can we can we sell a lot of this? I don't know. But, you know, as far as I know, I think it's sold out. So I, I have to say, <laughs> I think it's, um, you know, being in New York and having been to the Finger Lake regions and doing lots of blind tastings. I've helped a couple of people get their MS, particularly on the tasting portion of the exam. And I have to say some of the best tasters in the world, you could fool with the Finger Lake Riesling. That's um, what I'm talking about. Yeah, I mean, I know that that's that's a that's a fact. And the price, I mean, I think you were selling it for 11 bucks off yeah, of your site. Which 11 is like, bucks, yeah. That's, I mean, a bottle of wine for $11 from an estate is just crazy. Yeah, and it's, um, it's absolutely killer. I mean, I, I couldn't be more you know stoked about it it's it's just i love introducing wines like that to people and i think last bottle is a perfect vehicle for it because you know you might not take a flyer on a finger lakes riesling if it's if it's 20 bucks or 25 bucks but you know at 10 or 11 bucks yeah i think you're gonna say okay you know what i want to check this out exactly and then boom someone is now drinking finger lakes riesling and that's a beautiful thing there's some great, great stuff coming out of there. Um, a funny side story. Uh, did you see that Christie's is selling a bottle of French wine um, that spent more than a year in orbit? And they it was a bottle of Petrus. And they say the auction house thinks that the wine is going to get, they're thinking it's gonna, they're going to get a million dollars for it. Now, so there's one that was in orbit, and then there's one that was earthbound. And they had professional tasters come in and said, the one that was in orbit, zero gravity, has more aromatics. <laughs> So, so they're going to auction off an earthbound one and an orbit, and they think they're going to get a million dollars. Oh man, it's only a matter of time before we have NFT 
Bordeaux. Oh, oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, but I was just like, I've, I've just found that hilarious. I was happy to find that they were donating the money to some kind of, uh, you know, space engineer. Oh, program. that's good. So that's that made me, you know, at least it's not quite as gimmicky. I'm surprised um, it would go for as little as a million bucks. I think. A I, lot. Well, right. <laughs> well, I mean, Petrus, you know, by itself is probably ten thousand dollars a bottle. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I'm just bummed that they'd invite me or you to come in and taste uh, the zero gravity Petrus. Yes, that'd be a nice little footnote to our career, wouldn't it? Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, you're on the road a lot. You must have some pretty crazy uh, road stories. Do you have a favorite? Like, you know, I've. I mean, I was in. Um, I just mentioned this actually. I was just in uh, uh, Cuisine one of the last times I was there in Burgundy, and uh, with a couple of friends of ours, we did a. A vertical tasting of 2,000 Chateauneuf de Pop, which was just spectacular, um, and I love it because their cellar's so deep, and the price doesn't hurt. Mm-hmm. So that's still one of my favorite uh, favorite restaurants to go. Do you have a place you land and you feel like you're in, at home in Europe? Oh man, that's a great question. There are so many stories; it's hard to it's hard to come up with one. Um, <laughs> um, but I don't. I don't. I. I don't. I can't think of a great restaurant story off the top of my head. I. I do recall a, a very drunken night in a pizza place in Dusseldorf <laughs> after Provine. You know, you, you've tasted oh, yeah. literally 150 wines that day. Yeah, I know. And then you start drinking beer, and we found this pizza place with an incredible wine list, and there was yeah. some other sommeliers and there, and we started ordering crazy. You know. Um, GGs and all this yeah. stuff that was just we were blown away to yeah. see this stuff on the list. Yeah, and uh, it's always fun. And then Charles Smith uh, is in there. You know Charles from yeah, um, sure. So you know, and he's a he's a real character, and he was doing the same thing. And so we're ordering all these wines, and they're opening, and and then they say, uh, by the way, we only take cash. Oh, and we're like, you know, because we probably had like. Not exaggerating, I mean, because there were six of us, we probably had $3,000 worth of Riesling on the table. Right. <laughs> <clears throat> Irish exit. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. so uh, oh, yeah. I forget yeah. I forget exactly how it panned out, but I think we all took out the maximum we could get out of our, <laughs> with wow. our debit cards, and threw it at them, and then told Charles, oh, by the way, I hope you have a bunch of cash, and just kind of ran out of there. <laughs> so... <laughs> But, yeah, Riesling's deceiving. It's a low alcohol, so you you tend to overcompensate and drink more bottles than you're supposed to. Yeah, because exactly. You keep, oh God, you keep is, saying, "Yeah, it's eight percent. That's 9%. delicious. I feel great. Yeah. Let's have another one." Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, what do you think is happening in Napa right now? Um, there's the you, there's definitely a, a glut. I think of high end Napa cabs. Certainly, the the market. Um, uh, the cult market has kind of uh, dried up or certainly got much smaller. What is your take on that, particularly because you're in Napa? Um, do, I mean, do you think you think it rebounds? you think there's, uh, um, you know, since there is less of a market, are they going to try to sell more in other countries? I mean, I've, I've talked to a few of the winemakers there, and they're like, yeah, we're in a bit of a trouble. We have we have a glut right now. Uh, well, I mean, actually, the fire's... God, it's hard to say this. Maybe save them. They help. They have inventory they can go through. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. So let's say you know pre-pandemic and pre-fires. Mm-hmm. You know, unfortunately, we had fires on top of pandemic here. Right. Um, I would totally agree with you that a lot of people had a lot more wine than they wanted to mm-hmm. to talk about. 
Right. Um, you know, and probably, you know, 50 to 60% of what we offer at Last Bottle is, is domestic wine, <clears throat> mostly California. Right. Um, and there, I mean, there's too many wineries. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's too, too much wine being made. And I think not, not everyone understands how the market has so drastically changed in the last few years. Mm-hmm. However, to your point about the fires, um, that is going to be a natural kind of adjustment because a lot of wineries aren't going to have wine to sell right. uh, for that vintage. And with the pandemic, uh, there's been this drastic need to pivot from mm-hmm. on-premise to off-premise. Right. And um, I think it's really kind of opened a lot of uh, wineries' eyes to other ways to sell wine other than you know just having it on the list at French Laundry. Those um, days are the, over. The market is shifting and uh, people – I always think now – so now that people like – they're on your website. They're getting great wine delivered to the door, and you're, they're getting a fantastic, you know, uh, burgundy for fifty bucks. And now everyone's opening up again. They go back out to restaurants and they see it on a list for one hundred and eighty. Um, <laughs> you know, people have money have money for a reason too. <laughs> and when they see things marked up like three point five times, is, is a bell going to ring? And they go, you know what? Um, I don't think I want to spend eight hundred eighty bucks for this. I think I love buying it for fifty bucks a bottle. Um, I think the model's broken, and and that's and I think that's a good thing, by the way. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I, I certainly don't don't want to stop seeing great wines showing up in restaurants, and I certainly no, want restaurants not. to be able to have amazing wine lists. I mean, I'm right. I'm someone who, you know, enjoys eating out quite a lot. Um, but I just think the reality for wineries uh, going forward is going to have to change, and there's you, they're going to have to think. Well, I mean, I don't want to say out of the box because it's pretty, you know, it, it's it's not out of the box to sell your more of your wine at retail. But I think that's just what's going to happen. And, you know, I think a lot of wineries, at least from our perspective, you know, it's a it's mutually beneficial copacetic relationship that we have because, mm-hmm. you know, we're getting their wine in people's hands all over the country, even, you know, in a lot of states where their wine isn't distributed. Right. So, you know, for me, I always try to think of it as a win-win. Mm-hmm. Sure. And, of course, for the consumer who's, you know, getting to try a lot of things that they might not. Yeah, like you said, you know, they're not going to spend 180 bucks for a Napa cab in a restaurant, but they'll probably spend 45 bucks at last bottle. That's, I, th- I think that's a good thing. I think it's a good thing for the wine business. I hope so. Um, yeah. Um, but I think um, – I mean, you're in the right business, dude, but you don't have a brick and mortar. Uh, I think with things opening, uh, am I right? Are you, are you, do have a, you don't have a store anymore. Correct? No, no, no. We never did. We were always all online. Hmm. I think I, so I always think like, what is the move when everybody's always just online? Do you still need some kind of presence? I mean, you don't need to have all your inventory in a store, but is there some kind of people misinteracting with people? So do you, as a spokesperson for what you carry, maybe have a forum, uh, a night where it's just like oyster night, you know, at Last Bottle Wine, and you have a, like a stage, and you do a, a seminar on Chablis and talk about, you know, why this is such a great food pairing or something, because I think people miss interacting with people also. That 
sounds like something you and I should talk about and put together. Okay. <laughs> sounds like up. you'd be really good at it. <laughs> um, I'm decent at it. <laughs> um, we, you know, uh, I mean, we have thought about it. Um, there's a lot of complication in uh, licensing here in sure. California to mm-hmm. do a lot of what we do. Um, and uh, to, to have like um, a brick and mortar type presence or to be able to pour um, you know, there's because of our import licenses and a lot of other things, it gets pretty complicated here. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I think, you know, we're just, uh, well, I think we could certainly do that. Um, you know, we're, we're just so focused on what we do. Um, sure. And, you know, to I feel like it would probably be a distraction for us at this point. I mean, we really are just like putting our heads down and trying to keep up right now. You know, because during the pandemic, like everybody that sells anything online, you know, we we went nuts. Did you double business? We did. <laughs> That's a lot of dollars. That's great. <laughs> so you're on a treadmill and somebody just keeps hitting that up arrow exactly. and you're just trying to catch up. Oh, but I man. think once it, once it flattens, um, it will be interesting to see where we are. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, for sure we're all going to like, you know, mellow out here as, as things start to reopen. And, you know, we're all dying to go somewhere and go out and, you yeah. know, go into a store and buy something and travel. Yeah. So I do think it's, it's going to mellow out. But I also think that, you know, um, it, it, it's awakened so many people who, who didn't buy, especially wine online, to, right. uh, you know, how satisfying it can actually be. And how easy. Yeah. Um, it's easy to navigate your site, which is great. Yeah, as long as, you know, um, you, it's just like, you know, that, that wine guy in the shop that you trust to turn you on mm-hmm. to a cool new wine, you know. I feel like, you know, you can, you can have a lot of that experience uh, with an online retailer if you've, you know, got the right one. It seems like you're running at, at warp speed right now. Yeah. <laughs> you can't handle much more. It's pretty crazy. You're, we, you, yeah. we, we, we rented, you know, another warehouse down the street. We're looking for another warehouse, and everything is just maxed out. Our, our wow. poor guys, I mean, they're just forklifting stuff around all day just to, you know, just to make room. <laughs> yeah, well, that's hey. I'm sure you're treating them well, and uh, they're happy to have. We're all happy to have jobs, or certainly during the middle of this pandemic. Absolutely. So. I mean, we're all you know we're we're very fortunate, and um, you know we we did a lot of like with our marathons that we do three times a year. You know, we've uh, what we've been doing is donating a, a dollar per order through the marathon to uh, various uh, local charities. So. Boys and Girls Club and the uh, fire-related charities. And then um, the uh, Napa Valley Food Bank used to be in our building. Um, so we always we always give them a chunk of that because they're just – they do so much for the Valley. Oh, that's cool. And your marathon <clears throat> if um, is the kind of your – uh, the best price ever. One day, um, stuff goes on deep, deep discount, and it's just kind of a, a rollout, right? It is. It's like yeah. there's there's no emails. The wines just go up and one after the other. So it's a lot smaller quantities, right. and they literally, you know, sell out. I mean, I don't know how to, you know, if if there's three cases of of something, it'll sell in fifteen seconds. Um, I love the I love the auction feel of that. <laughs> yeah, so it's pretty crazy. It's it's literally a first come first serve thing. Um, but you know those have just those have just gotten bigger and bigger over the years too. So uh, we actually have to. We used to the marathon used to be something where you know if we we had a little extra of wine 
you know, we would put it in the marathon. But now we actually have to buy hundreds of SKUs for the, just for the marathon. Well, so. that's the thing, too, with your European selections. That, that One of the reasons why people get the wine so promptly is you have inventory. You're holding inventory. We do. Right? We, we take everything uh, up front, which is another reason why I think, like, um, you know, wineries love working with us directly because, Shh, sure. you know, we, we take the risk. Mm. We say, okay, we'll take, you know, 200 cases at this price or 400 right. cases at this price, and, uh, and we just take it. Yeah, you, you kind of feel like a gambler at a table, right? You're like <laughs> throwing in a lot of cash going, all right, man. Yeah. <laughs> let's go. Absolutely. Let's, let's pray. Yes, um, absolutely. You know, there's there's been some, there's been a few labels that have kind of, you know, cl- closed the doors over the years. And right. and we've we've taken like, you know, the entire inventory. So like everything that's bottled plus maybe like two vintages in barrel. Oh, that's so You cool. know, and we have our, we oh. have our own label too, so we can take you know, really high quality things and, and right. bottle them under our label. And that's the only kind of, you know, um, pr- I, I don't want to, yeah, it's really the only kind of private label thing that we do. That's cool. You should do it, particularly if you could put fantastic juice in Yeah, it. I mean, you know how it is. You um, know how it is yep. here in Napa. Yeah. It's like, yep. you know, your buddy calls you up and says, hey, man, I got three barrels of Killer Cab. Are you interested? Oh, I know. Many, many brands have started that way. Yeah, exactly. So um, we keep that rolling. Cool. What, what do you think happens from here? I know you're 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 probably even too busy busy to plan it out, but where do you think we go from here? Uh, we as a company you're, or we as a wine yeah. industry? We as um, a wine industry. I mean, we're about to open again, right? We are. Napa is already like rocking on the Feels weekends. Feels good, right? Feels good. I mean, good. Friday afternoon, you know, to Sunday afternoon, it's it's busy here. Yeah. Um, and it's That's it's good. only going to increase. Uh, I don't think Napa. I mean, you know, barring another pandemic type of situation napa's never ever going to slow down it's right this is just our you know and 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 sonoma too i mean and hell anderson valley for that matter right um it's just too close to the bay area it's too convenient it's too beautiful there's too many great places to eat and drink and it's it's not gonna it's not gonna slow down um yeah but you know like we were talking about earlier i do think that producers are really going to have to rethink how they're going about this in the future. Sure. How much, wine, how much wine they're making, how they're marketing it, and really having a, a plan of where it's going to go. Um, right. You know, I, I'm, I've, I've not really been that much on the producer side for a long, long time, so I, I honestly don't think about it that much. But, you know, it's just from my perspective as, as a buyer. Sure. I mean – there's there's far more wine out there than than we could buy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, that's in in some ways it gives us the luxury of picking out the best stuff, right, sure. and the best deals. But um, you know, it's uh, it's it's going to be a big shift for people. Mm-hmm. All right, so we're kind of at that part of the show where I ask my questions of my guests. So let's uh, let's just say a spaceship lands in Napa and they're going to extract you from the planet because they want to open up an e-commerce store, uh, interstellar store <laughs> uh, on Mars. So they're going to grab you and they're going to give you one last night. So you can pick three people to dine with dead or alive. What are you eating? What are you drinking? What piece of music are you listening to as the spaceship jets off? <laughs> uh okay well uh the first one's easy it's probably you get this from a lot of people but you know my dad died about six seven years ago and um 
you know, he, uh, you know, he was the one that loaned me the, the small loan to start this company. Um, oh, and cool. I know he would have loved, absolutely loved to see where, you know, the craziness that it's turned into. Sure. Oh, um, so I would definitely have dinner with my dad. Uh-huh. Um, unfortunately, his favorite meal was liver and onions. But I could, uh, I could imagine <laughs> that I could, uh, you know, if in, 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 with the right chef, it could be delicious. And um, so with my dad, um, I introduced him to Ridge. I'm a huge Ridge fan sure. from like yeah. way back. Sure. Paul so, Draper, right? yeah, I would do yeah. like a mini vertical of Geyserville, you know, from like 68 to 74. Wow. That's what I'd wow. do. That's cool. <laughs> if you could put one more person at the table, who would it be? Oh, man. Um, well, you know, and this goes back to my dad. My, my dad loved the author, um, Jim Harrison, mm-hmm. the poet and author. Okay. And, okay. you know, he was, a, he was a crazy, passionate foodie and a hunter. And, you know, he right. was, uh, you know, loved Rhone wines. So um, I always thought it would be – and I read, you know, so many of his books uh, right. as hand-me-downs from my right. dad. And I just – love the way he could so succinctly put a huge emotion into a sentence or two. Mm-hmm. Um, and, beautiful. you know, just totally blew my mind. So I would love to like go hunting with him, have him shoot a quail or a pheasant and drink like 1990 Rias. Nice. I was going to say Rias. Very good. <laughs> I was going to offer up a bottle of Rias to you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and what are you listening to? One song. You're going to give it to me. The, pl- the, the ship is leaving. What song's playing? <laughs> uh, well, it would have to be Sabotage! <laughs> is that the Beastie Boys song? Yes, sir. Okay. All right. <laughs> They've always been, you know, there's three partners here. And we have, yeah. I, I, just as a joke, I have pictures of the Beastie Boys all over the office because it would just right. served as like a, uh, you know... Uh, <laughs> A hilarious model for the three of us running this company. <laughs> yeah, it's that's it's a uh, it's one of my favorite songs as well. So <laughs> I hear you. Um, well, cool. How do people find you? Um, give us some Instagram, some website stuff, and then uh, um, yeah. So it's uh, you know for for b- uh, both of the companies, Last Bottle and First Bottle. I mean, it's it's really just Last Bottle Wines. I mean, if you just I, I think we're pretty all over the place with on Facebook and Instagram okay. and Twitter, mostly okay. uh, Facebook and Instagram. But yeah, at Last Bottle Wines, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and same with First Bottle. First Bottle is mm-hmm. kind of our more a little more high end site that's browsable. Mm-hmm. It's not cool. a once a day thing, but that's at First Bottle Wines. Um, yeah, and um, you know the other the way most people hear about us uh, is is our referrals like our refer a friend so if you refer uh there's a link on on the site if you're you know if if you're a member and uh you if they buy you get ten dollars and and um they no they get ten dollars you get thirty dollars no shit that's pretty cool yeah i mean it's a it's a fair amount of money we we had a guy that actually owned a winery oddly um Mm. sent it out to his mailing list and he got like eight hundred dollars worth of wine so you know it it adds up (laughs) yeah (laughs) Uh, well, hey, Stefan, thank you so much for being on uh, DOTJ Podcast, Drinking on the Job. Oh, it's been a blast, man. Uh, and uh, we'll be in touch. We'll talk about more wine. Cool. Uh, yeah, and definitely can't can't wait to meet you. we got to drink an old bottle of Rias. Hell yeah. That sounds, <laughs> that sounds fine with me. Uh, 
I'll see you soon. Take care. Okay, thanks a lot. All right, Later. Bye. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to check us out at dotjpodcast.com. Until then, I'll see you at the bar. Stop, stop, stop. Stop it.